Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. My name is Joe O'Brien. And I am millionaire playboy Troy LaValle. <laughs> Come on. That's what, that's what it said. You are. Oh, you rolled it. Yep. Millionaire Playboy Troy LaValle. Podcast guy by day. Millionaire Playboy millionaire by night. Playboy by night. Yep. What would you do, Troy, if you had a million dollars? I would hire four professionals to be on this podcast. All right. <laughs> I think Skid is pretty goddamn good. That's true. I would get rid of everyone except Skid and bring in just a bunch of professional comedians. You know what? It, it is so funny to think about, like, uh, I, you know, I've never done anything performance-related like this. Just to imagine what it's like to come up with something with your friends and then do it and shoot it. And you're like, man, this is really good. And then you get a lot of good buzz and the people really like it. And then a network is like, hey, we're going to pick it up. Uh, but all of your friends are fired. <laughs> we'll keep you. Got to get rid of all your friends. That Joe guy, he's the first to go. <laughs> right. And then you're <laughs> like, what's that got to feel like? And we're replacing him with like garbage. We're like, we're replacing him with Justin Bieber. <laughs> we think he really can do a good lork. Yeah. Does Joe have 34 million Twitter followers by any chance? No. Okay. Then we're going to go with Biebs. On this Go one, Beebs. <laughs> Go with Beebs. We're taking Lork in a new direction. He's going to be more just sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Cannon Fodder, all of our friends. It is time to discuss episode 103 of the Glass Cannon Podcast. Mm. A little behind the scenes look yep. at a long, giant sized combat is what we face in this episode. We consistently said it during the recording. I cannot stress it enough. That room was unimaginable. I'd right. never seen anything like it in Roll20. I've played a few games on Roll20. When I had my baby, our Jade uh, game went to Roll20. And I ran Wrath on Roll20. I had never seen a map where literally my player character was a dot that I couldn't <laughs> make out. I honestly couldn't make out who, which character was who yeah. if I even brought it back far enough to see half of the room. Yeah. Would you say that's pretty accurate? It was pretty accurate. It was actually tough. It was easier for me because I color-coded my guys so I would know, like, oh, mm -hmm. there's the fresh. Well, your guys were also all the, large. Right. That made it a little bit easier. But I just – and I think at a certain point I was like, who's this? Who's this person? I'm attacking them. <laughs> yes. And it, that's what's nice because then you know it's never personal because I had no idea who it was. <laughs> Yes. It does make for an interesting setup, though, because these the giant-sized tables create this obstruction mm -hmm. that gives cover to the giants, which factored in one or two times. We have the first frost giant, right, in this mm. campaign that we have seen, that we've come Such across. Such an awesome creature. We didn't really go too far into it. And if you don't want to, I understand, as we uncover more and more of this, because we heard about this frost giant village where... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just trying to get the lore right here. Sure. I believe Orothash was examining the warriors, perhaps through the fighting pits, and whichever ones he found worthy, he was sending to this frost giant camp? Right. Okay. Skiergard, I believe. Skiergard. So I imagine this as some sort of, like, 
ranger training, like like special forces training camp. Right, the best of the best are the, going to phase two. Right. Uh, frost giants go in first. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I, so I had never really seen one before. So can you talk a little more about what they're about? What they're like, what their abilities are like, what they're, I don't know. I, I just don't really know much about them. I've never really uh, fought against them before in any campaign. Yeah, um, it says here they're among the most feared giants as their wanton destruction, battle lust, and fearless demeanor push them to ever increasing displays of brutality. So they are one of those giant species that is just evil across the board. Yeah, pretty much. Um, they are chaotic evil. Oh. Uh, your, your, your average run-of-the-mill frost giant is chaotic evil, and they're basically like large Vikings. That's the way you have to think about ah, it. Ah, okay. Um, so they have so that they're kind of reavers, like they, yeah. Yeah, they move from place to place and pillage and destroy and Brutal burn. Brutal combatants, yeah. They usually start from a distance, throwing rocks, and then make their way in and start crushing with, in this case, a great axe. <sighs> so scary. And I didn't really get to use a lot of them. He was clearly the one, uh, he was waiting, biding his time. By the time he got in there, there wasn't a lot of people left for him to really lay out some damage. But I mean, you know, he was doing plus 18, plus 13 to hit for 3d6 plus 13 damage Ooh, man. and that's a times 3 crit for a great axe and just his slams alone were plus 18 for 1d8 plus 9 like very very strong creature and I did something different what like, CR is a frost giant uh, CR 9 Ooh, okay. Yeah, so it's right, right with level of, with the party. But obviously, there were four other guys that made it a. I think overall it was like a CR eleven encounter, maybe okay. CR twelve. Was the slightly difficult for us. Yeah, I did something that I never done before too, because I've been experimenting with the advanced template, and I didn't put it on all the creatures in the room. Um, and even the ones I did, I didn't give them the full benefit of an advanced template hit point. I think I gave the ogre barbarians uh, the advanced template, but I didn't give them all the hit points that they would have got from that. Gotcha. Um, but I didn't want to give the Frost Giant the advanced template. I didn't think it needed that, but I wanted to boost its AC a little bit, just to make it a little bit tougher to hit. A standard Frost Giant has an AC of 21. So what I did is I just gave him new armor. Ah. Yeah. So I gave him the plus two chain mail, uh, I think it was, to make it a AC 23. There you Just go. enough to make it tough without like boosting his to hit. His to hit is already so brutal. His, you know, his his hit points. He has 133 hit points. Like oh, I, I didn't man. need to give him any more hit points. Um, but still a very impressive creature. Yeah, and I mean, if I had got to really deal some cleave, some great cleave. Uh, I mean, that sunder. How cool would that have been? Oh, that was frightening. That yeah. was frightening. You could see it in Skid's face that he was like, "Okay, this is for real now." Yeah, this is for real. I'm <laughs> so close to. It's almost like having your life on the line right there. Almost the life of the entire party on the line right there. When you think about how much we depend on that bow. Sure. And so to have that at risk was, ooh. I mean, there's, there are arguments to be made that that bow is more important than Baron's guns. Maybe not long term, but like the damage output it can do on that multi-shot right from the – there's there's no one that can touch that. I mean, Della, obviously, if Della really lays out a good uh, shocking grasp, scimitar, blast, crit, <laughs> right, that can, that can do some damage. But that bow has That become, many shot is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if he really did lose his bow and then Nestor was stuck in close quarters, hand-to-hand combat. Like, what does he have, a dagger? Maybe he has a short sword? Like, he'd be, I don't want to say useless, but I, I don't think Nestor is built to be one way. He is not built to be a yeah. uh, 
I'm scared to even talk about it. Don't jinx us. It it does make me nervous to think about how useless he would be without that. I mean, it would be like Sir Will without a mount. Yeah. You take that away, and the character is is built just for that. I'm not saying it's uninteresting. It would be interest, very interesting, mm-hmm. but it would be tough. It would be very tough to continue on in the same brazen way that we did, you know, kicking open the doors, announcing ourselves, and just Nestor's whole speech, his two speeches, <laughs> the two variations of his speeches uh, to demoralize the giants. It's just very... We would not be able to have that level of confidence. Certainly no without chance. the mount, you wouldn't have been able to launch onto the table. <laughs> speed down this huge <laughs> table and jump off the other end to spear the <laughs> to spear. I loved it. I loved, I was bummed that I failed the ride check, but I was glad that we did all those checks because I thought that it, it required that. It required yeah. a high level of skill to do everything, and if you fail it, you fail it. And to just imagine him like landing the blow, but then losing his balance and falling off, it just made it feel more real. Yeah, and this is one thing that I've, I, I'm trying to get better at as a GM. Like I'm so, I get so tied up in the rules, whether I remember them or not, that I have a hard time, um, kind of embracing the whole beauty of this game of a tabletop role playing game is that you can do whatever you want. So when you said I want to, I want to jump up on the table, run across, jump off. My my instinct sometimes is usually like, all right, well, what's the check to jump on the table? And then you want right. to run. Like, whose movement speed? I, I I I was applauding myself in my own head, thinking like, just just make up a DC, see if he can hit it. If he can, let him do it because it's cool. Oh, He's I was not really breaking ha- the game. Just let him do it. It'll be fun. I was really happy you did that, and I love to do that as a GM. I am one as much as I am all about the rules. I am one hundred percent all about. If somebody comes up with something on the fly, just throwing out DCs or D100 checks yeah. on the fly. Just being like, roll a D100. You get over 30%, you did it. You know, And then dealing with failure as that comes. Because if it sort of seems to fall in between a skill area or it's a skill area where you have to have a skill point or you're not allowed to attempt the skill... I roll my eyes at that sometimes because it's just, it's so, it takes away from the game a little bit in those moments. So having somebody be able to do some percentage roll to see if they can pull it off, even if it's a long shot, give them a shot. And I think if you, the player, want to do something like that and you're not 100% sure how the rules work either and the GM is letting you do it, then you just got to go with the GM with what he or she says. If they're like, all right, well, you got to roll this. And now, in this case, you got to roll to see if you stay in the saddle. And you ended up not staying in the yeah. saddle. But like, that's okay once you take a few points of damage on the fall, but it, it made it much more realistic. And sure. I like that. Well, sure. And if we weren't at that stage in the combat where the Frost Giant was kind of going to be on its last legs because of the ranged damage that was going to be focused on him, that's a really scary situation for sure. Sir Will. On the ground, having to try to stand up maybe right next to this giant that's doing 3d6 plus 13 per hit. You, you crit with a great axe, it's times three. It's very scary. And you crit all the time. We say this over and over, but it is true. You crit, well, crit thread at least, all the time. Would that be 96 plus 39? Yes. <laughs> that 96. makes me want to throw up. <laughs> This is what frost giants are. Yeah, well, we wouldn't have to worry about the question of what's going to happen to Sir Will anymore. Nope. He would just be dead. <laughs> He'd be he would, splat. What happened to Sir Will is he died. Sir Splat. At the, yeah, Sir Splat at the foot of the, of the frost giant. So I have a question for you because yeah. I did have fun in this combat. I thought it was great, but I felt like you were a little bit hampered, a little hemmed in because, once again, 
you are forced into this position of slowly trying to close on extremely powerful ranged characters until you're in melee range. By the time you get your attacks off, you've already been whittled down till you're one or two rounds away from death. Have you been frustrated at all by the lack of ranged power in the game? So at this point in Giant Slayer, yeah. So think about the difference it would be if in the if 200 feet away in the back of that room was a giant standing on a table with a giant size great bow mm-hmm. firing bolts that did 2d8 on a hit if if that was in there that completely changes the combat and i'm not suggesting you add things for for tactics i'm sure. just i'm wondering are you getting frustrated with the lack of ranged options in this AP up until this point? Because all we've had are some kind of lumbering giants throwing rocks that really don't do a whole lot of damage. That fear is not there of the ranged character you can't get to. So tell me your thoughts on that. Is it something you're thinking about? Do you ever want to add it in or do you hold yourself back from doing it because it's not written in there? What do you think? Well, look, let's look back at probably the the three encounters that you've had the most trouble with uh, recently. The dragon, who's right. doing range breath attacks. Right, you know, yep, the, magic. The, star. Yep. the Oculus was certainly difficult as well because sure. she's got uh, magic. And uh, and then you would go back to like maybe the Rift Drake, same thing, and Iwiga, you know, ma- magic, magic users like that. Someone that could do range touch spells. Sure. Obviously, that is going to make things much more difficult for this particular mix. But what I like is... And the reason I haven't tried to adapt it so much is that giants on their own are extremely difficult in close quarters. So you have to be able to attack them from far away. But you have to get them out of the fight before they get up in your grill. Because once they do get up in your grill, they can knock a character unconscious in one round. Yeah, if they have a full attack action, you could just go unconscious, even if you're at full HP. Yeah, and so I, I would say that you guys have been playing it very well. I don't want to penalize you guys for playing tactically smart sure. by just all of a sudden uh, the Frost Giant has a great bow. Right. Um, I think the adventure is built in a way that you are going to be challenged uh, in ways that you haven't expected um, and also like re-challenged in ways that you've already proved you're not great at. Um, so allowing these fights to kind of go the way that they have, I think it's fine because that, like you said, had you uh, had that Frost Giant not gone down and then turns around and does Great Cleave, hits Nestor Baron and Sir Will on the ground, I mean, then Della and Umlo are left sure. to try and finish it off. Do uh, Does this come up in the actual AP? Do, do they write in there things about how hard giants are to fight? Do they talk about being wary that your PCs should be using ranged attacks or you should encourage them to use reach weapons? Does it say anything in there to that effect? It doesn't say the the latter part of what you were saying, but it does say, like, I remember reading the preface to book one, and it's like, even the most low-level giant, a in this case, I think of the most low-level standard giant as a hill giant, yeah. would be too strong for PCs at first, second, and third level. And so that's why you fight. They needed a substitute for book one, and so that was orcs. And then it's not until the last battle that you finally fight a giant that they created for that AP and is now appears in the bestiary, the the cave giant. The cave, yeah. Uh, The cave giant, who you now guys fought, maybe you fought three of them. Yes. Um, 
but <laughs> the advanced cave giants. So this I, is the true now five. You know, I think that this, especially where giants have been a part of you know RPGs for so long, they wanted to do something new um, with this. And so, since no one was ready for giants early, early on, they talk about that. Like, how can we do this? Okay, so orcs, and then you fight a cave giant. Yeah. And then book two is lots of hill giants. Book three. What would you say you're fighting a lot in book three? A little bit of everything. A little mixed bag. Lots of giants. Yeah. It does feel like lots of giants. This is this the one, one where you're really fighting. Because you fought a lot of ogres, hill giants. Grenzeldeck was a hill giant. But now it's every species. you got Etten. you got more ogres. you got hill, more hill giants. We haven't fought a you've, stone giant You haven't yet, fought right? us. So you've seen some. You know, yeah. the Earth Ash is a stone giant. Right. There's these, the two stone giant guards with the cave bear. Right. You know, so, you know, you can smell that uh, possibly happening at some point. But uh, now you've fought a frost giant. You can add that to the list. <laughs> add that notch. You know, you went to a temple to a, an old fire giant god, Zervaster. Zervaster. Yeah, Zervaster. So... It's just interesting to see the world sort of uh, the world of the giants coming to life as you guys get deeper and deeper into the AP. It certainly is. Speaking of the world of giants and the the different sorts of giants, what is this thing that we encounter at the end of the episode? It is a total mystery to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have my suspicions, but we we wrap up by obviously mopping up the combat. <laughs> Like we always do. And then starting to explore, we open up this door and there's this female giant, right? Appears to be, it's a pantry or something. Looks in, sees legs and just looks up. Fifteen feet, giant like female and she yells. And she yells, uh, help, help, help. yeah, help. Help. So uh, what is she, a prisoner? Is she a captive? This is what I say. Uh, a little behind the scenes, we shut it down yeah, after we went off the air. Yeah, we close it down, pack it up, and I'm thinking, and I say, we are obviously encountering somebody here who is here against their will and being held by these evil giants. And now it's starting to make sense to me, especially now. I think you're reinforcing my position that this frost giant is they're all chaotic evil and stuff. Maybe that's what this frost giant was doing. But Matthew had a completely different read on it. He was like, she's calling for help. Like we have another combat to get ready for and i don't know how healed up we are and i was just like i didn't think of that <laughs> you know so it really could go one or the other way i'm not sure but i'm sure you know i do <laughs> and i love just sitting there like uh, with my shit-eating grin on my face listening to you guys debate what you think is happening yeah uh, i will say wait a week. you are very very good at not giving anything away you don't do you don't say anything you just no. kind of smile and laugh. That is all you ever do. <laughs> Smile and laugh yep. whenever we're coming up with our theories about what is coming next. Well, that remains to be seen in episode 104. But for right now, it is time to discuss what the listeners are up to, Troy. And females. Actually, we do. We are going to open listener mail here with a note from a female and not a question, but a follow up. A couple weeks ago, we had a question from. (laughs) We had a question. Ladies, man. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) We had a question from Jenny out in San Francisco and Oakland who was asking about 
getting into role playing, a little bit nervous about doing accents, stuff like that. How do you, uh, what are some tips to get started? And we answered that question and Jenny wrote back to us. Jenny. With a follow up. Jenny, Jenny, who can I turn to? (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, I just wanted to give you a shout out and thank you for writing back and letting us know she went to her first PFS. Yeah, Jenny. Welcome to the club. Yeah, so she she went in, went with uh, her roommate and played with some people and she was playing a bard, I believe, Uh and tried to kind of get everybody into the role-playing aspect, get into character by busting out her cell phone and playing Radioactive by Imagine Dragons in order to inspire (laughs) courage. Are you familiar with that song? Um, No. I bet you don't know it. No, I don't know that. I know it, and it's a good one. It's a good one. Sing it. it. (laughs) Radioactive, radioactive. I'm really... uh, Some crazy lyrics. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Didn't that inspire your courage, Troy? Nope. To continue this episode? Uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's a great idea, and I applaud it. Jim. Yes, I, I applaud it. And it, it, we see this in our games. Skid, often, when he played a bard... Actually, that was in Council of Thieves, which you were not in. Right. Skid played a bard in Council of Thieves and would often use his cell phone and would play Metallica songs all the time <laughs> in, in order to inspire courage. And it worked. Let yeah. me tell you something. Got the guys fired up. The overall... This is from Jenny. The overall scenario didn't go as smoothly as how you guys do it. <laughs> which I appreciate you saying that, and I do understand that. It's tough, your first game, and it's not just that you were not as smooth. It's whenever you're playing with complete strangers the first time, it is not going to go very smoothly. But she said that nonetheless, it was a really good time, and she's now going to brainstorm. That wasn't really her first official character. I think she jumped into a higher-level game just to get to practice a little bit with uh-huh. a character that she didn't really build from level one. Like a pre-gen they just gave her? Yeah, something like that. So she said, I've been brainstorming my first official character whenever I get home from work, mm-hmm. and I've been practicing by researching Shakespearean insults insults for hexing as a half-elf shaman. Ooh. <laughs> so very cool, very clever. Uh, I think that that's awesome, and congratulations for uh, for getting out there and playing. That's what we want to see people doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just love hearing that, because especially for someone who's never played before, because they, she's got the bug now, you can tell. She went home, she's researching, she's hooked for life. You are hooked for life. <laughs> we're thankful, and we also were sorry. In, in, fact, in fact, she does say, thank you guys for introducing me to Pathfinder and inspiring me to go out and participate in this extremely addicting pastime. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it, Jenny. Well done. You're welcome. Our actual question, though, tonight comes from Sean in South Bend, Indiana, Mm. who got picked because he's playing Jade Regent, and we love Jade Regent. Oh, we certainly do. No, that's not why. It's because it's a really good question. And honestly, we sometimes pick these questions that we know we are not going to be able to answer very well. Yeah. Because they're just good questions, and they get us thinking, and we want to talk about it. So first disclaimer for this one is we probably don't even have a good answer to this, but we're going to give it our best. I would say half of the time, I mean, all of the time, we don't pre-plan answers out. We just start talking. But I think on these type of questions, because I know what this question is, we discover things as we discuss it. That's true. So I'm excited to have this discussion with you. Me too, because we haven't we haven't launched into this at all yet. So it brought up an interesting idea. So just to give a little bit of background, Sean is playing the Jade Regent campaign, which we are playing. And without spoiling too much, his character is a samurai, and his character was able to pick up this weapon that's part of the story and is a hugely impactful weapon. And I can tell you that I have it. My character has it in our Jade Regent game. So I'm really speaking from experience here, literally. Yeah. 
His question, though, is very general in nature, which is that since the time of acquiring this weapon, and he was the only one that could really use it as a samurai, so the question became, over time, he started to become such a focus of the story because of the pre-written weapon that suddenly there is this now, out of the original PCs, there has been risen to the surface this protagonist in him but not everybody else. And that's creating kind of a strange tension in the game Mm -hmm. where he feels like some of the other players are not as into the game anymore Mm -hmm. and sort of not as into him as a person. No, maybe I'm jumping. (laughs) Maybe I'm jumping at conclusions. But they're covetous of the attention that he's getting. To quote Sean, he says, nevertheless, just the tone and attitude of some of the other players seems to be progressively more terse as the campaign is continued and i fear my dm is empathizing with them in a way that he may not feel like wanting to schedule a session in fear of upsetting them further so i think to some extent you and i have been in this boat where as gms you kind of don't even want to schedule the next session (laughs) because you don't think that people are having fun at the moment yeah there's something tense happening He says, I've tried to involve the other players as much as I can in terms of role-playing, out-of-character discussions, attempts to bring light to interesting things about their character, which, of course, just sounds so condescending to me, (laughs) but is obviously your, your heart's in the right place. But even with all that, I fear that I may have caught myself up in the main protagonist trap which he capitalizes, Mm -hmm. where no matter what I try to do to bring everyone up on equal ground, the noble samurai wielding the powerful MacGuffin artifact atop a mighty armored griffin steed just kind of trumps everything anyone else can bring to the table. So that's a really hard question. So, Troy, what's the answer? What does he do? (laughs) Not only is it a difficult question, but it is a, I think it is a question that any gaming group can appreciate and understand. 100%. Yeah, we all... We talk about this all the time, the importance of group dynamic. And I think we usually talk about it in in the sense of like forming a group. You've got to make sure you have the right group. But maintaining that group is just as important as forming the group. Anybody can form a group. It's right. keeping that group going. Anybody can get married. Right. <laughs> Staying married is extremely difficult work. It, exactly. And when you're doing these, uh, you know, the pre, especially these pre-written campaigns that go on for years. I mean, our Jade Region campaign, we're, we're going into deep into year four of it. And I think yeah. we've got at least another year uh, left because we don't get to meet up as often. You know, you've got to keep everybody interested is one thing, but then to keep everybody happy and excited and wanting to play is a totally different thing. So in this case, I think there are two different things that need to happen. One, the GM has to work extra hard, especially if this is the way that the the group kind of is feeling, to make sure that everyone feels like they're co-protagonists in the story, you know. What I what I like to think of is, you know, I always mention Lost, but Lost is a great example of how every episode would focus on pretty much one of the main characters. But overall, we're telling the whole story. So every session, you know, maybe it does focus on one character. But if you felt like one session was very heavily focused on the samurai, the next session, make a point of really focusing on the rogue. Make it the rogue story. And then the next time, make it all about the sorcerer, you know? And then there's going to be times when it's got to be about everybody. But really focus as a GM to give everybody their moment in the sun. And then if you feel like you're the player who is getting all of the 
sort of limelight, then you've got to do, it sounds like he's trying his best to keep everybody involved and it's working and not working to a certain extent, but continue doing that. Like really yield the floor to the other people. And then if you as a player feel like you're not the protagonist or not getting your chance, you've got to force your way in there without being a dick about it. Like force a way to make your character important. It's also not out of the discussion for the other player, for the other players to speak with the GM off the record outside of the game and say, hey, look, I just feel like he is the samurai is such the focus of this story. And that's fine. I get why. But I want to get my character more involved. What can I do to make that happen? What can we do together to make that happen? If those players don't do that, then I don't have sympathy for them. I don't believe in this hand-holding bullshit. Like, yeah. you need to be an adult about it. You're an adult playing a game, a child's game. Take the responsibility as an adult to say, if I'm not having fun because my character is a secondary character, then find a way to make your character a main character, right. like you said, without being a dick. And I think a great way to do that is to talk to the GM outside of it and say, what are some ideas here? What, what do we have? Is there anything I can work with? The GM might come back to you and say, okay, so... He knows or she knows what is coming up in the adventure, so they might have some idea of how to to work you into it a little bit better. I agree with you that I think the responsibility is more so on the GM, creatively speaking. But the image of just sitting around with a bunch of sullen players because they're bored, that they're not the focus, that's where you have to take responsibility for your own actions. Yeah, You don't just get a promotion at work for being at work. (laughs) You have to excel. You have to work hard to work better or to to match what is expected of you. And if you work harder, you're going to enjoy it more. The outcome is going to be more enjoyable to you in general. And I have to say, generally speaking, to bring the focus back on Jade Regent for a second, but even from a general perspective, this could fit into any AP that has a legendary weapon sort of situation. Sure. We don't have that in our game in the least. If anything, I am a secondary character in a way. You know, I think that we have mentioned before that Skid's character is sort of a main character in that story. He doesn't have that weapon. No. So it's not just the weapon. There's something else happening. And I think that part of it might just be that you've created a really interesting character that is really made for the story. And maybe the other characters are not exactly tuned into the story yet. So some other options are start killing people off. (laughs) If you feel that bad and you think that the other players really have their hearts in the right place and really they're just unable to do this, then be the honorable samurai and commit seppuku and bring in a new character. (laughs) Give the sword to somebody else. I don't know. It's just the idea is that it's not only your responsibility. I don't want you to feel like you did anything wrong. Everybody has to chip in to make everybody relevant. And it is not a failure of this AP, is what I'm saying. It's not a failure of the legendary weapon trope. That does not immediately make the most important character. It's just one character who has now their hook in the story. There's lots of other hooks in the story. Everybody just has to work at finding what those are for themselves. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing you can do as a player is if you're not happy with something that's going on, just check out. Like, why are you even showing up? Like, this is a... I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, Joe. Like, when we play these games, it is a major commitment for us now to play right. games, let alone just do the podcast. Like, we we can barely squeeze in, uh, you know, Curse of the Crimson Throne and our Jade Region campaigns and Skid's Rise of the Rune Lords game. 
So if I want to play, if I'm going to be there committed to those time, committed to that game session, I want to have a really good time. So the onus is on you guys. If you're not having a good time to talk to your GM. And if the GM is the reason you're not having a good time, well, you still got to talk to the GM and you <laughs> yes. just got to approach it from a different way. If it's another player that's bothering you, you go to the GM. If the player is your friend, eventually you got to talk to your buddy. If the player is somebody else's friend, you gonna you gotta figure this out, but like the you worst gotta, thing well, you can the, do is like blast through another five sessions with just tension that doesn't need to be there. I was gonna say the Troy Lavalley method. If you don't like your buddy's friend, is to tell your buddy to kick their friend out of the game, right? And then bring in your friend. I hi- so now it's only your friends in the game. I highly recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Troy Lavalley move. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if we need to harp on this anymore. It yeah. it, 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 it does feel kind of just like a rant but i do want to say that we do appreciate the complexity of the issue it is not something that is fixed overnight it's not something that everybody it is something that everybody deals with in one way or another over the course of a campaign where you feel like there might be some tension about people getting more focused than other people that happens to everybody yeah how you approach it really you can't do much more as a player than what you do for yourself. And it sounds to me like you're really trying. So keep up the good work, keep trying, and encourage your players to to talk to their GM. Or if you are a GM listening to this and you get that sense, don't let it go. Don't let it simmer underneath because someone hasn't come to you to say something. Talk to a player outside of the game and say, what can we do to get you more invested? Don't, don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pitch it as, talking about feelings. I wouldn't say like, are you upset with the game? Or, but, you know, I would just go and say, hey, look, I was thinking, let's get some more interesting story stuff going around your character. What, what were you thinking? Where would you see her going? Right. What do you imagine her being in, uh, you know, a year from now as a character? Okay, okay, cool. You know, start spitballing ideas and make it all kind of come from a positive, proactive standpoint rather than starting with, you're doing something wrong that we need to fix. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's a definitely a better way to approach it than be like, you're messing things up. How can we make you not do that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, I hope that that helped in some way. Jenny, thank you again for writing back in and keeping us updated on your game. We wish you the best of luck in your next PFS with your first official character. Troy, that is all I have for, for this episode. We are on the cusp of Cannon Fodder 50. That's insane. Hashtag March to 50. I didn't even realize that. We've done, well, we've done 49 of these. We're about to do 50 Cannon Fodders. 50 Cannon Fodders, and we have one week of the March to 50. So get excited. But I do want to tell you, I do have something planned for Cannon Fodder 50. Do you? I do have a special surprise. Well, you know what? I'll bring a special surprise myself. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to guilt you into it on No, air. I'm going to do it. And since it's Cannon Fodder 50, I promise there will be a death live on air. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>